Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is the Vice UK podcast. My name's Sam Wolfson. Have you ever taken a drug that wasn't exactly what you expected it to be? Does this big new buzz phrase in drug policy, harm reduction, is the idea that instead of criminalizing drugs, you should just make them safe and enjoyable for the people who are taking them. It's controversial because most people in this country believe that drugs should be illegal and want governments to be tough on drugs. The problem with that is, it's made little to no difference to the number of people taking drugs. And there are new dangers around drug safety. In the last couple of years, the number of deaths from ecstasy has risen dramatically, partly because the pills people are taking don't contain what people expect. Harm reduction focuses on making drugs safer for the user, and we're going to be talking about it this week. In particular, pill testing, something that's been trialled for the first time in the UK this year, with interesting results. But before that, we're going to talk all things drugs with Matt Shea and Joe Bish. Matt, Joe, hi. How you doing? Good. We're talking about drugs. This was the week that the SNP voted to decriminalise marijuana for prescriptions. Now, they are the leading party in Scotland. They would need that power devolved from Westminster, but that's something that may well happen in sort of future negotiations. Uh, Matt, how much do you sort of buy the argument that people need cannabis for various medical ailments, or do you think this is kind of just a first step to wider decriminalisation and legalisation? I think both. I think it's strange how regressive the UK's cannabis policy is, especially compared to the rest of the Western world right now. I mean, America, Uruguay, Spain, Canada, the Czech Republic, so many countries are moving towards decriminalization. The UK is kind of like the uncool older brother that just doesn't seem to consider it. But yeah, medicinal cannabis is always the first step. And in the States, that was kind of, you know, that was what happened first, right? There was a bit of medicinal cannabis in California. And then the next thing you know, there are like weed dispensaries popping up on the beach. Yeah, exactly. Because the UK's drug policy is, well, its cannabis policy is predicated on the idea that um, cannabis has no beneficial effects whatsoever. It's only a harmful substance. So accepting that it has some beneficial effects is the first step to perhaps not making it as illegal. Bish, are you pro-cannabis legalization? What do you think would happen if that actually came into effect? 
Um, probably exactly the same thing that's happened everywhere else. The medicinal thing is different because that's what they've recently said is that the CBD, which is a different compound to THC. Right, but which it's also found in cannabis. Yeah, yeah. Right. But it isn't uh, psychoactive. And that's now been deemed a medicinal product, which means that it has to be regulated, which means all the people that are selling CBD oil and stuff like that now, after within 28 days, which was probably now close to 15, because it was last week that it came out, have to stop selling it. Right. Because it's not regulated. Um, So where were they selling it before, like health food shops and places like that? No, it was mostly like like, uh, online vendors would be like, oh, here's our CBD oil, we've got vapes, we've got oils, like food supplements, we've got all that sort of shit. Oh, that's the thing that they've been, some of our colleagues have been enjoying. They send us a lot of weed stuff here because we're vice and tell you what, we're We're cool as as chips over here. Um, It's like a painkiller and a lot of people rely on it for sort of chronic pain uh, illnesses like MS and whatever. And they now won't have access to it until the clinical trials and whatever else go through. But that that can take years and, and it costs a lot of money. So conspiracy theorists among the CBD guys are saying, like, it's just taking the business away from them to give it to, like, you know, GlaxoSmithKline or whoever else. We spend in the UK £16 billion a year on prohibitions. So it would save of a lot drugs. of money, too. Of all drugs. Yeah. Of all drugs. But a lot of that is cannabis since it's the most popular illegal drug in the UK. But yeah, do we really care about the CBD oil manufacturers? I think like the main thing here is that the government is starting to warm to medicinal cannabis, which is massive. And it's not the, the only area in which an attitude is starting to change. Police forces across the country have been quietly deprioritizing cannabis and saying they're not even going after um, small-scale cannabis use and production anymore. And actually, cannabis arrests are down hugely, even though the use of the drug has remained roughly the same. So it shows you that the police forces around this country have kind of almost started a de facto decriminalization, even though the government is so staunchly against cannabis. Matt, you've actually been looking at this a lot because you've just made a news series for Vice, which is just focusing on drug use in the UK. Um, let's hear a little clip of that. How do you think the dark web has changed the drug industry in the UK? Crazy. You can now purchase drugs like you can purchase a fucking microwave. So what are the things that go into a pill? MDMA, yeah. microcrystalline cellulose. I use like a... Whoa! Shit. I use a premium mix. All right, well, can you show me how it works? Yeah, man. <laughs> so that, yeah, it's just, do you know what I mean? It's not, it doesn't come out of a fucking laboratory. <laughs> People think it's clean and shit. Now, what was the idea behind just sort of focusing on, on drug use in the UK in particular? The UK takes more drugs than almost any other country in Europe. Um, and this year marks the year that deaths from all the major narcotics in the UK have reached their highest level since records began. Um, And while the rest of the world seems to be moving towards decriminalization, the UK is still weirdly one of the most regressive Western countries. So it seemed like the right time to kind of survey 
the community of drug users in in this country and we found some weird characters while we were doing so so you weren't just looking at weed you're looking at uh, ecstasy which we're going to be talking about in a sec cocaine what was most surprising just the the sheer amount of ecstasy and all drugs really but specifically ecstasy that people take in the uk i mean the average amount of MDMA per session in the UK is 420 milligrams. It's almost half a gram. Wow. Uh, to put that in perspective, Germans, the people who invented nightclubs that stay open for like 60 hours at a time, right. take only 200 milligrams in one session. So we take way too much ecstasy in one go in this country. And why is that? It's, it's a really good question. I mean, one possible reason is because ecstasy used to be quite impure and people aren't used to having such pure ecstasy and, and, and such like high quality right. MDMA so now they're taking most more but also there's something in the British culture I mean I grew up in America and uh, it was kind of terrifying initially to see how many drugs people do here on the weekend it, there's like there's a kind of like um, drug taking bravado in England and you know it, it's the only place where you can take pills for like three days straight and then tell your friends about it and they're like haha that's hilarious instead of being like oh shit like are you okay i wanted to ask about the kind of almost at the same time as like drug culture becomes more and more prevalent there's also this like semi-legitimate world and you mentioned like vaping shops springing up everywhere and you also went to that vaping conference earlier in the year how has that become such a thing and like are they the same people who take drugs or is it like this legit alternative to drug taking? Well, the vaping is basically just an alternative to smoking, but is in itself smoking. But it's got the hallmarks of drug culture. Um, I way. disagree. I don't think it has the hallmarks of drug. I'd say it has more the hallmarks of people who are into flying drones or right. making model airplanes it's right. a hobbyists it's a hobbyists world it's not it's not so much like a druggy thing um i think people take drugs to forget about having to you know charge their atomizer and <laughs> refill their e-juice uh cylinder and uh all that sort of shit but also let's be honest like there's something in rolling a spliff like the act of rolling and smoking a spliff that people actually like more than being high I mean, you can say that, right? You can say it's all about, it's nice to have the culture and it's nice to sort of have these like illicit processes and texting your dealer and all of that stuff. But one of the negatives that can come from that, particularly with harder drugs, is that you don't get exactly what you imagined. Off the record, have you guys took a drug and it wasn't exactly what you thought it was or someone you know take a drug that it wasn't exactly what they thought it was? I feel like this is very much on the record. Yeah, this, is, this is literally the definition of on the record. Yeah, yeah. I thought this I was going to show you There's how I break down journalist, journalistic right processes. We wouldn't know. I've probably taken a drug and had a bad experience and put it down to like the people I was with. Right. Could It could have been PMA or it could have been, uh, you know, all sorts of dodgy shit that, that's now going up in drugs. You know, how would you know unless you tested it? Do you remember when I tricked you into taking a line of salt? No, it was uh, flour. <laughs> oh, yeah. You wrapped up uh, like four lines of flour um, and then I did it. And then I, uh, I think I, I think I got a credit card and then like pushed it in your face because I was annoyed at the embarrassment of the situation there. <laughs> There isn't a sort of emerging answer to this problem, which is the idea of like pill testing or drug testing, uh, which is the legal testing of drugs to see how pure they are. Uh, we spoke to someone on the advisory council of the misuse of drugs to find out exactly how this works. 
My name's Alex Stevens. I'm Professor in Criminal Justice at the University of Kent, and I'm also President of the International Society for the Study of Drug Policy, and I've been very interested in how harm reduction is developing over the last recent few years, including the idea of um, testing substances so that people can use them safely. Are you coming back to collect your results? Yeah. If you just bear with me, I'll just go and check the results in for you. One second. There are some services, and these have been going on for quite a long time in Europe, that allow people who have bought drugs, whether legally or illegally, to test samples of those substances before they decide whether they're going to use them or not. And the idea of this is that people are going to be using um, drugs to get pleasure and get high and dance in various nighttime environments. And it would be safer if they were able to have better information about what is in those substances before they take them. In many circumstances, if they get information that there's chemicals in the drugs they've bought that they didn't expect, they might then decide not to take them and that would be a lot safer. Where did you find these yes. drugs? I was out last night and I found them on the floor. It was a full baggie, so I was curious about where it came from. What are you hoping it is? It's quite controversial in this country and others around the world. Um, and the main argument falls along the lines of should we be stopping people from using drugs altogether? Or if people are going to use drugs anyway, should we be helping them to make that safer? And one of the problems here is there's not a lot of research that's been done to decide on that controversy. Um, this is an emerging field, um, especially in this country, in the UK. It's only been being done for a fairly short time. Um, and we don't yet have good evidence on what the actual effects are in terms of either one argument, which is that would increase people's use because by helping make it safer, people then use more drugs, or on the other side, well, this wouldn't affect people's use but would help those people who are using to make it safer. That's basically the controversy we've got. Well, the argument is made that if you give people information about using drugs safely, then they might increase their drug use. That is an argument that has always been made any time any effort has been made to help drug users keep themselves safe and it has rarely been demonstrated that is actually the case. So for example when in the 1980s we were introducing needle exchange services to help people who were injecting drugs to reduce their risks of, of transmitting HIV, this same argument was made that if you make it safer that more people will use and therefore you'll increase harms. That didn't turn out to be true. In fact the, that harm reduction service was very effective in reducing the rates of HIV amongst injecting drug users. Okay, so I've got your results, and as you said, you believed and thought that it was cocaine that you brought into us. It actually came back that it was ketamine. Really? Yes, it did. <laughs> we offer a free disposal service as well, so if you wanted us to safely dispose of that for you today, we could do that as well. Is that something that you would like us to do? Um, I don't take care of myself, but I know some of my friends do. So. Do many people opt for the disposal option? We have had a few, yes. So if it's something that is of concern, then they've handed it back to us. I think the press reaction to the pilots that were taking place this summer was quite interesting in that a few years ago one might have expected universal condemnation um, for any service that could be portrayed as facilitating drug use. But the reaction this summer was a bit more mixed than that, I think, and there were people taking the arguments quite seriously about the fact that there are young people out there using these substances. Some of them might be doing harm to themselves, and we need to find ways that um, help them reduce those risks. I think drug testing 
in nighttime environments is an interesting expansion of the conversation about how we reduce the harms of drug use. And that conversation started in relation to HIV and injecting drug use. And so we have some very well-developed services for those forms of drug use, including needle exchange and opiate substitution treatments. So I think it's very encouraging that we're seeing people think about extending that logic to other forms of drug use, about how do you help people who are in any case going to be using drugs to reduce the risks they're running. So I think it's good that within the drug policy arena, we're now seeing innovations in helping people to reduce the risks. So what other drugs are you taking? Pills. Have you got those tested? No. Isn't that the one that you'd be the most worried about though? I got it off my friend whose friend got them and supplied them. And there's a website called Pill Report. Yeah. That's really, really helpful because you just type in what you've got and it pretty much gives you a running commentary of people that are taking it. So that was a bit from Alex Stevens, who's on the Advisory Council for the Misuse of Drugs. And Matt, we heard you at the end there interviewing uh, people on a night out, getting their pills tested. And we're joined by Guy Jones from Cosmocare, and you're one of the people who does some of that testing. Can you tell us a little bit about, I mean, the sorts of things you do? Do you do it in a lab, sort of miles away from a nightclub, or are you also out there doing stuff sort of on a night out? Uh, so we are based at the festival in a, a lab, in inverted commas. Really, right. it's a tent with some tables and our lab equipment in it. It's interesting for us as um, people working in the lab, it's not vastly different from um, running a, uh, an emergency services service but it's very interesting for us to understand what the people think it is perhaps where information about where they've acquired it from um, and to be able to correlate that to are people getting what they expect when you get somebody who finds out that they've got something that they didn't expect then generally people when they buy something they think they're getting what they're expecting because otherwise they wouldn't be buying it so it's often a bit of a, a, a sort of shock reaction disappointment in some cases because ultimately they have bought it because they want to take it and they that's what they've bought to enjoy themselves with matt you mentioned in that piece or people were talking about that website pill report pill report is a website that reports on the effects of certain pills and has a picture of the pill you know this is a blue triangle shaped pill with a mickey mouse symbol on it it got me really high and i had a great time or don't take these whatever 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 but um yeah as i said the problem with that is that oftentimes when a pill is good drug manufacturers will attempt to imitate it the next year so that you're actually not getting a correct report on the pill you're taking is that a thing, a useful thing that people should do? Look at their yeah. Report? So I think uh, the more that people can inform themselves, uh, the better their chances of avoiding the harms that they uh, encounter are. Uh, pill reports is a useful tool, and as Matt said, very much a step in the right direction. But um, so we've seen probably about four or five different designs of Tesla pills. Um, where there's been one initial uh, very high dose batch and then copycat manufacturers will um, try to press as close um, looking pills as that as they can to try and ride on that good reputation from sites like pill reports so without 
testing each batch that people get they really can't know for sure whether or not they're they're getting that original with the good reputation or they're getting something that has a lower or perhaps even a, a, an entirely different substance so as well as like drug testing you also work for an organization cosmicare what what do you do there? You also go to festivals, right? Yeah, so uh, Cosmicare is a psychedelic welfare service uh, and we have a team of counsellors working 24-7 specialising in cases where people have had or are having difficult experiences with psychedelic drugs. I know that you didn't have Cosmicare at Boontown, you were just working at the med tent, but my first experience of Boontown, walking through the gate, I just saw the tent on the right and I just heard this girl screaming bloody murder and maybe never want to do psychedelics I mean it could have been anything I guess but she was screaming louder than I've ever heard anyone scream is that a common occurrence do you get I mean uh, what kind of stuff do you get I mean there's a, a very wide range of cases that we treat all the way from I've lost my welly and I've got cold feet and I'm having a bad time right the way up to patients who are um, me by the way at every festival <laughs> <laughs> uh, right the way up to patients who have um, lost their marbles temporarily uh, and need somebody to look after their physical being while their um, uh, mental being explores another universe right. does anyone ever come in with something like really petty like I took three pills and the music is still sounding really shit <laughs> I mean, we do have people, I've had people before where they're, they're sort of, it hasn't kicked in yet. And so they're really disappointed. And from having worked doing Cosmic Care for a number of years, you, you start to recognize that it has kicked in a little bit. <laughs> and they're just feeling a bit uncomfortable because they're hungover and they haven't slept for four days. And they've got tolerance from the past night. So they think it's not working, but it is. And so they, you, you sort of sit with them for half an hour. And once it starts to properly kick in, they're like, oh, okay, I didn't get rubbish drugs. And they'll wander back off into the right, party right, and enjoy right. themselves. Isn't isn't there an issue that if you have kind of drug testing services at more festivals that people are going to be like hey this is a great place to take pills you can go to secret garden party and come with a bunch and they'll tell you how good they are is there a danger that it could encourage drug use I think potentially yes and that's something that critics are always keen to point out is that by making drug use safer and something that's illegal safer you are encouraging people to do it but the focus for us is 100% on keeping people safer. If 10 more people do drugs, but one less person dies overall, then for us, that's a big benefit. And even if it's not deaths, if it's less people admitted to the medics and less of the medics time used because people are falling ill, that is our key priority. Isn't there also, though, an issue that, okay, you're testing drugs, but you have no idea if you do find the, them to be unsafe whether people will just take them anyway. And I mean, I don't know, from your experiences, don't people often just still go off with their pills even if you tell them that they're unsafe? I mean, the whole point of the service existing is that we've tried to stop people doing something by making laws against it and threatening to put them in jail and they're still doing it. Mm. So ultimately, they may well still decide that they're going to take those pills, but for most people, they don't want to die. They don't want to have their night ruined by spending four hours in a, a white medical tent with fluorescent lighting on. They want to be out enjoying themselves. And so by and large, what we see is that people, when they find out that they were expecting ketamine and they get antimalarial drugs that have been crushed <laughs> up, they don't want to take that anymore because there's that's not what they wanted there's a risk for them all of these kinds of things the pill testing um the kind of you know treatment on site 
comes under this sort of broad banner of of harm reduction, which I guess is a relatively kind of new approach, certainly in the mainstream, of instead of trying to stop people taking drugs, to try and help them take drugs in a safe way. For you, are there key things that we could be doing to kind of work in in that sphere? I think really you've got to approach it not just at the music events, um, but as a wider kind of drug education, because there's only so much um, that that will sink into people when they've been on a two-day bender already and they've found some pills on the floor and they thought they'd run out of drugs so they've come to get them tested and they're going to take them they don't soak in that much information so in an ideal world to be able to have um, and to be able to get people to access better drug education before an event and to to kind of understand a bit more about what they're potentially going to put into their body would be great ultimately for us it's about keeping people safe if we are saying to people look we're gonna arrest you if you come and ask for advice about drugs or to if you take a leaflet about drugs well you must be interested in taking drugs and therefore we're going to search your tent well that's going to result in people not knowing anything about the drugs they take and it's going to push people away from services that could keep them safe and put people at risk and that is not what anybody wants i would hope i think you're right and i think we are starting to see a kind of transition to the in the way people take drugs. It's been brought upon by um, the dark web, for one, and also Burning Man and all these things. It's, there's kind of like a new generation of people who are very clinical about knowing exactly what's in their drugs, like ordering something very specific from the dark web, testing it, and you know, like measuring out an exact dosage. And it's it's becoming less like David Bowie and more kind of a chemical thing that we do to have a better time yeah and i guess that's what you said before about the vaping guys and if there's any correlation there i'd say that the kind of hobbyist aspect of the vaping guys is more closely linked to the drug takers that the psychonauts who buy like all this weird shit online and you know drug forums drug forums are great because there's just a bunch of guys like taking loads of different stuff and then saying what they like what happens like all these weird different like bobiturates with all these different things yeah exactly but they're all they're all into drugs like you know i couldn't say that i'm into drugs because i do drugs you know not that regularly but regularly enough to to know what they're like but these guys are like really into drugs like drugs for them isn't like yes They're drug geeks. They're drug geeks, yeah. yeah. And in many ways, ketamine's quite a geeky drug as well that's come about. I mean, it's a medical drug that actually mm. isn't really that dangerous, to be honest, at all, um, unless you do it enough to scar your bladder. I thought it was very dangerous. I thought it was going to ruin a generation of young people. No, ketamine... Well, I mean, not, uh, uh, you're the expert. Uh, in, in an, Compared from to an objective point of view, the acute risks of taking ketamine are relatively lower than other drugs. I would n- never say it was safe, um, but there are few overdoses from ketamine. But what about all the people who can't pee anymore that I've read about in the sun? Stop reading the Daily Mail in the sun. <laughs> no, but those people do exist. Sorry. You're the expert. But talking about drugs like not becoming sexy or cool anymore, I mean, think about microdosing, which is the new trend of like Silicon Valley tech geeks taking a permanently low dose of LSD in order to become more creative when they give their presentations. I mean, that is so far off from the 60s, mm. it's unreal. But it's also a long way off from now and teenagers in Britain. Like, we've got to be careful that the fact that nerdy people are taking drugs in a nerdy way doesn't mean that non-nerdy people will just bosh whatever they find on the floor at 
Glastonbury up their nose and hope for the best. Bearing in mind everything that we've just said then, in terms of harm reduction, even if these are things that are difficult to change or difficult to implement, if there was one thing that you would like to change about drug culture or introduce, whether it be legally or culturally, to make the world a safer place, Bish, we can start with you. I would like more homegrown cocaine. Because I feel like the trade. yeah well I mean like the that is an issue with like being a cocaine user. A it's fucking cut with absolute nonsense. B it's extremely expensive, and C it comes from blood and fucking bones, and it's an evil, horrible thing that's like hundreds of thousands of people a year get murdered for. Whereas if it was sort of you know cultivated here, I feel like it would be cheaper, more guilt-free. Maybe not totally guilt-free, but supporting our economy. Yeah, and it do you think we'll ever get to the point where people say things like, "Hey, do you know anywhere around here that does some great local cocaine?" You know, drug culture is based on the place that it's in. You know, it's the UK's drug culture is the way it is because we're the UK and we're a unique country, the same as every other country is. So, you know, whereas in Bogota or Colombia, wherever cocaine might be you know the same as uh, having a cup of coffee here it's like some mad city boy thing or it's like some weird you know expensive baby baby what's it called baby baby boomer no no like the formula they cut it with it's like oh Uh, baby laxative laxative yeah Yeah, that's it baby Baby boomer i thought that's what you meant about the generation who did cocaine well they did like it they loved it guy what would you say um there's lots of things that i can think of but I think anything that engages people in the process of looking after themselves and being a bit more uh, careful about their drug use would be a really valuable addition. Uh, And so from my background as a chemist, something I would absolutely love to see is um, an effective publicly available testing service where people can, uh, similar to what they have in uh, Northern Europe in some places, people can go in during the week or send a sample in, in the post and they can get that result within a few days so that by the time they come to use their drugs on Friday or Saturday, they know what's in it and they can make a decision. If it turns out to be not what they were expecting, then they'll hopefully say, oh, right, well, I'm not going to take that then. Yeah, I, I kind of think it would be better if, if like, like you were saying, drugs became decriminalized, they weren't illegal, and then as a result, they weren't as cool. And then doing them every weekend would no longer be cool. It would go back to being something that people use to enhance their fun rather than something that people do instead of having fun or solely just doing that for fun. The problem with, like, pills especially is that they're fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. And that they make you feel very, very, very good. And I've never, you know, touch wood, never had a pill that I've not been halfway through and gone, I feel incredible, this is the best I've ever felt. But it feels good doing that. If you keep on doing them, pills especially, and you do larger and larger amounts, then you get to a point where it's not like the first time anymore and it's not particularly enjoyable and the come downs and the side effects get worse and worse. And so your experience is a little bit different to some people because it sounds like that actually you're quite a sensible drug user starting with half a pill and and taking a quarter. Um, Whereas for a lot of people, their experience is maybe they'll start with one and then they'll take another one to top up 15 minutes later because it's not kicking in and by the end of the night they'll have finished 10 pills and they get to a point a few years into their drug using career and they're like "Mm, don't really like pills anymore it sounds like we could talk about this at length but as a thing drugs are great 
don't do too much of them and i also like the use of the phase drug using career which is something <laughs> i may well employ <laughs> um that was the vice uk podcast produced by sam bonham at rethink audio we'll be back next week cheers Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.